0: This is the Return to Order Moment with Edwin Benson, bringing you insights, analysis, and information for a culture in crisis.
1: Educrats and educationists are clueless about the real reasons that American schools are failing. In the modern world, the old title, teacher, has been replaced with the word educator. There are a number of reasons to reject this change. One is that it is applied to so many people who do not teach anyone Those are the people that we call educrats and educationists. To be more specific, educrats are people who hang around school board administration buildings as well as the state and federal departments of education. These are the people, some of whom have never been classroom teachers, that tell teachers what to do. Educationists inhabit another world, that of an ivory tower. They are the education professors who think that they can teach young people to teach, Again, many of these have never taught children. The educrats and educationists attend conferences and come home convinced that they can fix the school system's problems. Until now, their so-called solutions have fallen flat. A humorous example of their ineptitude occurred in California's famed Stanford University. Most listeners have probably heard about their infamous list of bad words. Most of the coverage considered one of those words American. However, In this essay, Stanford University's Forbidden Words list spotlights leftist hypocrisy. Edwin Benson explains that the list is far more important than just one word.
0: Stanford University discourages using the word American. It didn't take long for Stanford to make national news from a list of words that it issued in late December. Using the overblown rhetoric that universities love... The list was produced by the, quote, elimination of harmful language initiative, unquote. The coverage seems to dismay the masters of Stanford who thought they were doing something good. The list caused an uproar that led to removing public access to it on its website. However, the scandal remains. Most of the reports centered on one list item. Stanford discourages using the word American. American. The Daily Caller provided a succinct reason. Quote, The list recommends banning the term American and replacing it with U.S. citizen, as it reportedly implies that the U.S. is the most important country in the Americas. Unquote. By assuming the exclusive title of American for its citizens, the United States belittles the 42 other nations in the Americas that have the right to use it. It also highlights the wealth, military power, and cultural influence of the United States as the most important country, not just in the Americas, but in the world. Thus, those at Stanford and other academics who belong to the hate America crowd see it as a legitimate target for elimination. However, the list's importance is much greater than one word. For those fighting against wokeness, Stanford has provided a kind of road map to the leftist mind. Stanford defines itself by two sets of words, those on the list and those excluded from it. First, the left's obsession with race is on full display. Curiously, though, Stanford's obsession extends to only two races, black and white. Black Mark black sheep, black bald, and black list are forbidden, even though they have nothing to do with black people. However, the list justifies excising those terms because, quote, each assigns negative connotations to the color black, racializing the term, unquote. Likewise, the list forbids white paper, white list, and white space. Those terms also assign, quote, value connotations based on color, white equals good, an act which is subconsciously racialized, unquote. Thus, Stanford shuns the terms master and slave, even in contexts far outside of Nicole Hannah Jones's 1619 Project assertion of America's original sin. Slave can never be used even when referring to non-human contexts. Subsequently, driving near the Stanford University campus would be perilous, since the wokesters would demand the removal of the slave cylinders from the braking systems of their automobiles. Mastering a subject or creating master lists and master schedules are all bad because, quote, masters enslaved people, unquote. Apparently, though, Stanford still allows students to earn a master's degree. Surprisingly, those with a do-your-own-thing mentality frown on defining aspects of human sexuality. Their discomfort begins with any word with the syllable man, as was found in many professions like policemen and firemen. Thus, the terms man-hours, mankind, man-made, and man-power are on the list. He and she have lost their singularity to become they. Likewise, both ladies and gentlemen are to be known simply as everyone. Stanford's prohibitions extend to illicit sexual practices as well. A child prostitute is a, quote, child who has been trafficked, unquote. At the same time, the word prostitute means those, quote, who engage in sex work, unquote. Referring to someone as a prostitute also, quote, defines people by just one of their characteristics, unquote. The same stricture also applies to convicts, prisoners, homeless people, and immigrants. Perhaps the most telling item on the list is abort, meaning to cancel something already in progress. No matter the context, quote, this term can unintentionally raise religious-slash-moral concerns over abortion, unquote. The forbidden list continues. A more interesting list would be the terms that Stanford didn't include. For instance... Mockery of religious people is apparently acceptable. The Stanford list makers have no problem allowing the word cult to describe church members who take their spiritual lives seriously. Likewise, calling a Catholic a papist is also fine. Referring to a Baptist as a Bible thumper is entirely permissible. Nor are insulting terms against conservatives forbidden. Old terms like stick-in-the-mud and reactionary are well within allowable limits. The panoply of so-called phobias, homophobia, xenophobia, and so on, is open to liberal attack. Referring to a conservative as a fascist is fine, even though that term accurately describes those who perpetrated the horrors of World War II. Liberals can hurl their most potent insults racist, sexist, and bigot with impunity. Once America's intelligentsia pretended to prize academic freedom and abhor censorship, that commitment was always conditional, and the conditions weighed against the conservative, the religious, and the traditional. Even so, that facade crumbled years ago. Stanford's only mistake was making the injustice obvious by publishing a forbidden word list.
1: There are those in public life that do have some understanding of the way that American schools have become so shockingly bad. One of those is a former attorney general of the United States. Edwin Benson discusses this man's view in his essay. William Barr explains how education was destroyed in America.
0: On May twentieth, two 2021, former Attorney General William Barr received the annual Edwin Meese III Award for Originalism and Religious Liberty from the Alliance Defending Freedom at the Alliance Defending Freedom event in Orlando, Florida. Several times during his acceptance speech, Mr. Barr defended the idea that it is impossible to separate religion from education. His thoughts provide powerful ammunition for those repelled by attempts to promote secularism and especially the harmful critical race theory and its spawn, the 1619 Project. The outspoken Catholic conservative contended that many schools promote radical ideologies harmful to students and society. This indoctrination has severe implications for those who fall under its spell. These ideologies he specified were totally incompatible with Christianity. Mr. Barr gave a brief history of religious attitudes within the education profession Quote, throughout the history of Western civilization. It has been generally understood that a true education is inherently bound up with religion and morality Unquote. indeed. The very concept of schools, as understood today, springs from church origins. There is nothing unusual about the relationship between religion and education. However, Mr. Barr contends that sealing off the schools from religious influences is novel. Many modern Americans, including religious Americans, would be surprised by that fact. The phrase separation of church and state is so ingrained that many think that the current secularism goes back to the nation's founding. Mr. Barr divides the history of American public education into three parts. The first part begins about 1830, when educators like Horace Mann saw two purposes for the system that they were creating. The first was to develop a common national identity. Mr. Barr illustrates this with a turn on the national motto, forging the unum out of the pluribus. The second goal was to build the moral character of American youth. The second goal, while laudable, was never fully achieved. Unfortunately, the basis of this approach was a kind of lowest common denominator that Mr. Barr refers to as pan-Protestantism. This age also saw Catholics establish their competing school system. Limited as it was, the public school moral education did pass on civic virtues based loosely on the Ten Commandments. Students in these public school classrooms offered a generic Christian prayer every morning after saying the Pledge of Allegiance. That practice ended as Mr. Barr's second phase began. He does not give a specific date or event that caused the shift, referring to it as, quote, the latter part of the twentieth century. Unquote. This second phase saw, quote, a relentless campaign of secularization intent on driving away every vestige of traditional religion from the public square. Unquote. This drive took dead aim at the most vulnerable part of the square public schools after enlisting the support of the supreme court these secular zealots relentlessly moved against any religious influence within american culture santa claus is coming to town replaced traditional christmas carols in school concerts athletic teams could no longer pray before games mentioning sacred scripture could only be done as a part of a history or literature lesson Mr. Barr calls this process secularization by subtraction. As the schools expelled God, student discipline suffered. School authorities had only one weak arrow in their quiver. Prite talk of liberal values. They told the children to be friendly, show respect, wait for their turn, not lie or strike out in anger however they gave no reason for following those rules quote, "what passed for morality had no metaphysical foundation" Unquote. these values essential for civilized discourse quote, "became nothing more than mere sentimentality still drawing on the vapor trails of christianity" Unquote. even in this deteriorating situation Parents could usually expect that the schools would reinforce, albeit weakly, the values taught at home. Perhaps teachers would not be allowed to teach morality, but they did not contradict the parents' lessons in the classroom. This idea could, Mr. Barr argues, only work in a society with relatively homogenous values which cross common lines of race and social class. Critical race theory is the most recent attempt to destroy that society. Modern educationists rush to implement the third phase, quote, The affirmative indoctrination of children with a secular belief system that is a substitute for religion and antithetical to the beliefs and values of traditional God-centered religion, Currently, Leftists relentlessly attempt to remove any lingering vestige of Christian culture from the schools. Strenuously, they lay the foundations of a dystopian anti-Christian world. This goal preempts all others. This self-image of children, long the educator's buzzword, is sacrificed, especially if the child is white or Asian. Rigid standards are now symbols of oppression. Difficult lessons penalize the victims of past injustices. Any disciplinary system, in the minds of many, evokes images of whipping slaves. The concepts of objectivity and absolute truth deny so-called lived experience and alternate narratives. The results are harrowing. Quote, The state of our public schools is becoming an absurdity that can scarcely be believed. While an astonishing number of public schools fail to produce students proficient in basic reading and math, they spare no effort or expense in their drive to instill a radical secular belief system that would have been unimaginable to Americans even 20 years ago." Mr. Barr offers evidence to bolster this conclusion. He mentions a lesson that was part of a Black Lives Matter week of action at a public preschool in Iowa. The caption on a coloring page heralded a social revolution. Quote, Everyone gets to choose if they are a girl or a boy, or both, or neither, or someone else, and no one else gets to choose for them. Unquote. This message is not pertinent to preschool students in Iowa. It does, however, represent an assault on traditional values. It softens up children's moral senses to accept flagrant violations of natural law, which they would otherwise reject. A similar process is at work with the repugnant drag queen story hours, to which leftist parents have turned into a line in the sand to groom their all-too-malleable children. There are no easy answers to this offense, save that of a national moral and spiritual regeneration. Until then, committed Christians must do all they can to defeat, school by school, board by board, state by state, the secularist ideology that threatens everyone. Former Attorney General William Barr must be commended for spelling out the problem so succinctly.
1: One reason that the educrats and educationists are so clueless is that the best solution for American schools lies outside of their grasp or control. Mr. John Horvat explains in his essay, Always too little, too late. The plight of modern education.
0: The real education of the child begins very early in the child's development. New research is finding that firm foundations set early are the best guarantee that children will experience success later in life. Liberal educators really do not want to hear such truths they would prefer to parrot over and over again the mantras of modern education. These include the idea that the mere application of teaching methods will resolve all problems in learning. More government programs are all that is needed to make sure no child is left behind. A common core of learned information will ensure that the child will be career and college ready. However, such mantras have consistently failed to understand the nature of the child. The mechanistic approach to education that stresses method over character does not deliver good results. It is not only what is taught, but how the child is prepared for the lessons of life that makes a difference. If the child is not given this essential moral foundation early in life, anything the school can offer is often too little Too late. It used to be that only religious leaders and educators insisted upon a strong moral formation early in life. The scientific establishment is now adding its voice. As the understanding of the human mind expands, scientists are finding that the child's development begins at ever earlier ages. Quote, virtually every aspect of human development affirms a major study by the National Academy of Sciences, from the brain's evolving circuitry to the child's capacity for empathy is affected by the environments and experiences that are encountered in a cumulative fashion, beginning in the prenatal period and extending through the early childhood years, The child's first school is not kindergarten but begins in the womb and later is found in the experience and interaction with the infant environment. The young child's brain is biologically set up to absorb influences from surroundings. The child is especially attuned to connecting with mature adults, found especially in parents. Early neurobiological development associated with the child's ability to absorb influences is foundational and powerfully influences later life. These skills are also extremely agile early in childhood, which facilitates the learning process enormously. As the child ages, however, such abilities lessen and the brain finds itself more difficult to change. It would make sense to facilitate the child's development early in life since it is much more efficient and cost-effective than in later years. The perfect educational system should be the greatest possible promotion of the family, especially as found in the Christian family. Of course, The logical conclusions of such findings should lead educators to try to visualize the ideal conditions under which the very young child can capitalize on this amazing aptitude to learn. It would indeed be much easier to start early than arrive late in the education process. It does not take a rocket or neuroscientist to come to the obvious conclusion that the traditional family is the ideal and most natural institution that fosters the best possible development of the child. The family provides the earliest possible instruction and surroundings that favor the proper formation of the infant and later the child. The father and the mother are perfect caring adults for interaction with the child to aid in the proper development of the child's brain and thinking process. The perfect educational program should be the greatest possible promotion of the family, especially as found in the Christian family. Such a program would buttress the high standards of morality that keep families together. There should be a general discouragement and condemnation of immorality, promiscuity, and perversity that are harmful to the formation of healthy families. Teachers should support the protection of the womb, that first kindergarten that is threatened by abortion. In this way, children will already enter schools with the best possible elements for a good education. They will leave predisposed to form their own families oriented toward the good of their children and not personal gratification. Until this is done, the education establishment is doomed to provide too little too late. Modern educators will address at great cost to the taxpayer only the effects of broken families and shattered lives. There is neither program nor budget sufficient to deal with this crisis, since they will never look at the causes. They will not dare look at the cause, because such a courageous attitude would entail fighting against the predominant culture that glorifies violence, sexuality, and immorality. Not even science, long idolized by the education establishment, is enough to convince them to change. Indeed, the growing evidence is there for all who want to see. The problem is that so many do not want to see.
1: This concludes. Educrats and educationists are clueless about the real reason that America's schools are failing. Thank you for listening. Return to Order, of which this podcast is a part, strives to be a source of light in a dark and disordered world. Your prayers are appreciated. We publish a new episode every week as Tuesday becomes Wednesday at midnight. You can hear our program in two ways. The first is to subscribe through your favorite podcast provider. Another is to go to our website, www.returntoorder.org, and click on the podcast link at the top of the page, which will take you to a list with the most recent podcast on top. We ask subscribers to give us a five-star rating with their favorite podcast service. Subscriptions and high ratings mean that more people will find the Return to Order moment online. You can help Return to Order be more effective. We also would like to recommend Mr. John Horvath's book, Return to Order. It is available as a free download or on our website, www.returntoorder.org, or in printed and recorded form through our bookstore. All rights are reserved. Copyright 2023 by the American Society for the Defense of Tradition, Family and Property, TFP.